All right, so uh, let's get into it. If you can ever focus back now, uh, let's get into it. We've been talking about the tabernacle. If you have not been with us, we've, uh, we just like to decorate. No, we set up the, uh, we set up the tabernacle. Uh, and look, the, the tabernacle is, is much bigger than what we've got in this room. Uh, the actual uh, dimensions of the tabernacle are about as wide as a football field and half as long. So uh, we're kind of uh, crunched in here a little bit. Uh, but, but we've tried to just set up this idea where you could just see the process in which uh, somebody would come into the Holy of Holies. Now, uh, the goal was always, uh, always the presence of God. And what we've got set up here is this kind of behind this curtain. The idea is that behind this curtain is the, is the Holy of Holies. What we're going to concentrate on uh, this morning is what's up on the stage, which is this uh, first uh, right after you pass through sacrifice and the washing of hands, uh, it's this first uh, pass into the holy place. So this would just be called the holy place. It's not the holiest uh, place in the tabernacle, but it is a holy place. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. There's several elements. There's three major elements uh, in the holy place that we're going to uh, uncover. But basically the idea in this whole series, the idea has been looking at uh, the reality that uh, we we serve Jesus. We serve uh, and, and are saved by Jesus, but most of the time what we, we don't understand the fullness of who Jesus is because we don't know what was said about him in the Old Testament. We don't know what was prophesied uh, about him, and so we don't know how he's the fulfillment of all of these different things that God said he wanted to do in Jesus. We just know Jesus saves me, I'm going to heaven, I have a New Testament, and that's all. And I just want to tell you, if that's all you have, you're missing a huge amount of who this Jesus is. You're missing a huge amount of Yeshua which uh, is, is paramount for our understanding to recognize that God gave his people a picture of what it looked like to be in relationship with him. And he was telling them about Jesus and how the fulfillment of relationship in him would be found in Jesus. And so what we've got to understand is that people say this all the time. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I think Jesus might stand in the room and disagree. I think he might say it's all about the Father. Jesus never said it's all about me. He said, come to me, and I'm the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. But Jesus has read Deuteronomy 6. It says, uh, all the law and the prophets are summed up in this, love the Lord your God. And so Jesus came, if we don't see this full picture, Jesus came for the point of our reestablishing relationship and connection with the Father. Now, they're one, and uh, we could get into all of that in the Trinity. I'm not saying that Jesus is not important, and I know you do not hear that. But what I am saying is uh, that Jesus ultimately came uh, to set us back in relationship with the Father. And See, we're the only, uh, only creatures that have, ever, that have ever lived. Humankind is the only creatures that have ever lived who have the capacity to be in relationship, to be in communion with God. You're unique. God said, let me make you in my image. You're unique in the fact that in his image means that you can be in intimate relationship and connection with him. And I would even say, uh, and it's truth, that, you, that absent that relationship, you will, never, uh, you will never know fulfillment in your life. You were created to know him and be known by him. And everything in your life is supposed to spring from that relationship uh, with God. Everything. So we say, no, Kendall, I was made to worship. Yes, you were made to worship from a position of relationship with God. No, Kendall, I was made to bring glory to the Father. Yes, you were made to bring glory to the Father, but that can only come through relationship with Him. You cannot bring glory to the Father absent being in communion and relationship with the Father. You see this? 
everything in your life, the way that you, your friendships, your relationships, uh, your marriages someday, and, and even right now, they're all to spring from the well of relationship with God. Because it's from that well that Jesus said will flow rivers of living water. You see this. So everything is about being in relationship with God. And Jesus says, I mean, that's, that's why I came. So we kind of say it's all about Jesus, it's all about Jesus, it's all about Jesus. I think Jesus would say it's all about the Father, it's all about the Father, it's all about the Father because I came that you might be in relationship with him. And I believe that Jesus is most glorified as we are uh, in intimate relationship and communion with the Father and therefore in him. So that's what we're discovering is this picture, this beautiful picture that God has given us of this relationship. And last week we talked uh, about the place of sacrifice and the place of cleansing. Uh, you cannot come into the tabernacle uh, absent, uh, and it's kind of set up in a progression. So you would come out, uh, come in through those double doors there, uh, through the tent. Now, the uh, I, do we have the picture of the campsite? Maybe. So the so the campsite was set up uh, where there was one entrance, right? And you, there was only one entrance, and it was guarded uh, by the priests and the uh, tribe of Judah. Anybody remember the logo, if you will? I guess the uh, logo of the tribe of Judah. It's a golden lion, right? And so the golden lion, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, is, as Revelation says, uh, Jesus is the one that stands uh, and, the, and the priests stand uh, at the entrance gate. And there is only one way into uh, this, uh, this tabernacle, this holy place. And it began by sacrifice. It began, I, I would come in and I would bring my sacrifice and I would lay my hands on whatever this uh, animal uh, was and it would be a perfect, spotless, unblemished animal. I would lay my hands on this animal and I would confess my sins. It was a transferring. I would confess my sin onto this animal uh, and at that point the animal would be slaughtered, blood would be spilled as a payment for those sins and the idea was that as I transferred this sin, as I imputed my sin onto uh, this animal, that sacrifice would then cover my sin, right? And so then I would move into uh, this second uh, place, and this is the wash basin, and I would be washed. And this, we uh, covered this uh, last week, but this is a place uh, that pictures the pouring out uh, of the Holy Spirit. So there's sacrifice uh, made, and then the pouring out of the Holy Spirit it also represents uh, cleansing. And so the, after this point, uh, the next point of progression is into the holy place. Right? There's no, other, there's no other steps to go through. We've kind of got this, uh, this, if you see these kind of these curtains here is the idea. Uh, but then I would go into the holy place. And now it's getting uh, extremely serious. Uh, it's, it's serious before, but I can't get here unless both of these things have happened first. And remember, the idea is never to just complete uh, one of these uh, stations. The idea is to commune with God. Ultimately, the idea here is that I would press into the Holy of Holies. And so this is the next, uh, next stage in that journey where we move into the holy place. And we've got three different elements here. We've got a golden, uh, and forgive, we tried really hard. We just, I told you, we don't have a tabernacle closet where all this stuff is sitting and we just get to do the actual tabernacle. So you've got a golden uh, candlestick. You've got a table of incense. Uh, and you've got a table of showbread. And that's what we're going to look at uh, this week is what each of those signify. And then next week, uh, we're going to actually go into the Holy... I'm going I'm to teach behind here, and you're, it's going to be like Wizard of Oz, you know? So <laughs> I'm just kidding. So that's what we're going to look at today is these three things. Uh, and I, listen, um, I tell you this every week, every week, every week, and I'm not going to back away from it. You, 
None of this, none of this is going to matter. None of this is going to make sense. None of this is going to connect with you unless you set your heart not to hear me, but to hear the Spirit of God. Unless you really cry out and go, God, I want to see you in all this, because this was the point. Understand this. We're, we're teaching these elements, but the point was that his people might come into contact with his nature, that his people might know his presence, right? And we can do the same exact thing today as we uncover this and read what the, each of these elements are. We can know what God intended for these things to show. And I want to tell you that if you'll, just, if you'll just allow yourself, if you'll just go, God, I want to see what you want me to see in this. I want to promise you that as, you, uh, as we talk about these different things, you're going to know the heart of the Father. If you'll just set yourself to listen. You, he doesn't ask you to get to him, but just, just be available. Just, just for a moment, just go, okay, God, I want to see what you want me to see in what you created, because he is the one that gave every detail for how this would be structured for the purpose of you seeing and knowing him. And that's why we're studying this uh, as we go. So I'm just going to give you a few seconds. Just, uh, just want you to Prepare yourself to hear God. There's nothing more important that you can do uh, this morning and at any moment of your life than hear God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So it's just, let's just ask that faith would be given as we hear God. We sing this song often, but we say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And that's our prayer this morning. It's to say to you, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. It would be foolish of me to set my agenda for what I want you to do. God, I just want to be available to whatever you want to say, whatever you want to do. We just welcome your presence. We ask for you to speak truth. We ask for you to bring life. You're the only one that can. We ask for you to teach us about Jesus. We ask for you to bring transformation. We ask for you to deliver us from fear. We ask for you uh, to uh, speak to us about how we're sons and daughters. We ask for you to make known to us the paths of life and righteousness. Uh, we welcome you here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to go through each of these elements. I'm just going to kind of give you an overview of what they are, and then we're going to study them uh, a little more in depth. And uh, I'm going to spend more time on a couple of them, just this where the Lord has uh, led my heart to stop for a second. So uh, you, you would come in, uh, and there's three elements here. We've got the golden candlestick, uh, and the golden candlestick, this is huge, like <laughs> way off here, okay? So uh, the golden candlestick, we've got a picture of it. Uh, it weighed 107 pounds. Uh, it has seven uh, branches. Uh, it's trimmed uh, morning and night to ensure that there's always light. So there's, and we didn't light ours because we didn't know how flammable this stuff was, and uh, and this was happening. So we we didn't light ours. But uh, so 
anyway, this, so this would burn um, continually, and it was the only source of light for the holy place. So these curtains, I know that it doesn't, you can't really get the feel, but uh, as you would come into the holy place, uh, it was completely, completely surrounded and covered. So the only light in the holy place was given by these, uh, by these candles. And the way it worked was the middle one, uh, is longer than all of the others, and the middle one would be filled with oil, and that oil would supply all the other branches uh, off of uh, off of the candlestick, and so it would burn continually every morning and night. The uh, the lamps would be uh, trimmed that they might continue to burn. To your right, you would have the uh, table of showbread, and on this uh, on this table, this is this is signifying. If you remember when we talked about the covenant, anybody remember the covenant, the steps in covenant? Uh, this was talking about the covenant meal. Remember, there would be a meal uh, partaken of uh, by the sacrifice. And so this is symbolic of the covenant meal. God is always reminding his people that I am in covenant uh, with you. And so this table of showbread, it had bread. Uh, and it had, we don't have wine, but it had bread and wine. We're Baptists. Um, and uh, so I'm just kidding. You guys can laugh anytime uh, you feel led by the Holy Spirit to laugh at my jokes. Um, so uh, bread and, uh, and wine uh, would be here. The bread would be covered in frankincense. There would be 12 loaves. Why 12 loaves? What's 12? That's right, the 12 tribes of Israel. So there'd be one loaf for every tribe. And it was this, it was this uh, symbolic, uh, uh, symbolic meal that the tribes of Israel, that God's covenant people were in covenant with him. And, they, and uh, the priests, every Sabbath, the priests would partake of this, uh, of this meal. They would actually eat uh, the bread, it was covered in frankincense. They would actually eat the bread, and this is what sustained them. It's symbolic uh, of the life of God coming into uh, his people. And so, uh, and the reason that that is, is because where is, uh, where is the life of God made known to his people? How did this happen? It happened through covenant, right? You guys with me? And so because this happened through covenant, as the priests uh, eat, it's, it's symbolic of the taking of the life of God. Because remember in covenant, God gave his life to his people. Remember? I, everything that's mine, I give to you. And everything that's, that's yours, you give to me, right? This was the, uh, the, all, of your, all of your weapons, all of your uh, resources, everything was given to me. Uh, and, you, and you give to me, right? And so this is symbolic of that, uh, of that meal. Uh, the... Uh, the priests, uh, again, would, would eat this every Sabbath, and then it would continually be replaced. And then right in front of you, right here, uh, is the altar of incense. Now, this, this, uh, this altar is about three feet high uh, and one and a half feet square. We have exact dimensions here. I'm just kidding. Um, and every morning and evening, uh, coals are placed here, and incense is sprinkled over uh, the coals. Anybody ever put water on a fire? You ever done that? Like real hot fire, put water on it, what happens? There's steam and smoke, right? Well, so this is the same idea. They would, they would put incense uh, on these hot coals and it would create this really thick, uh, thick white uh, smoke and it would fill this room. Now remember, this is, a, this is an enclosed room and it would fill this room uh, with the fragrance of the incense uh, and with the smoke. Why smoke? What has God done in smoke? Where did, it, where did this smoke start out? It's where he made covenant with his people and then... What else? Think about Mount Sinai. Yeah, this is, this is the cloud. This is a, this is a smoke uh, of the presence of God that would lead his people. And so there's continually this, uh, this smoke in the holy place. On the Day of Atonement, 
uh, which is one day a year on the Day of Atonement. The high priest would come, uh, and he would, he's the only one that would ever be able to come into the Holy of Holies, right? Everything everybody else did was in order to supply the high priest uh, with the ability to move into the Holy of Holies. And once a year, he would come, and he would sprinkle the blood of a sacrifice, not the incense. He would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on, uh, on lots of things, but on the uh, incense, and it would create, I'm sorry, on the coals, it would create this smoke, and that is how... Uh, that is how he would uh, go in, was through the blood. We're going to look at that with Jesus and how Jesus went in. So this is all the things that would be present. You guys feel like you have a good picture? So this is in an enclosed room in the holy place. And at this point, they're extremely close to the Holy of Holies, but they couldn't see into the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was covered just as this is right now. So what does all of it mean? See, we read in the scriptures, and what God said is when he, when he was giving this prescription to Moses, he said, I'm going to show you things that are to be modeled, but they're to be modeled after things that are in where? That are in heaven. You remember? So what we're seeing here, though it is structure made by man, God said to Moses, I want to show you a model of things which are above. I want, because remember, the idea here is that God is forecasting, God is speaking to his people about who he is and about what is to come. And so uh, he says, I'm going to show you this according to the model. And who is the model? What is the model? The model is Jesus. And so he's in every element of this, uh, of this tabernacle because he is the model in heaven in which this was built around. So if this is the model, then what do each of these things teach us about Jesus? You guys okay? We're going to do the altar of incense first, and then we're going to do the table of showbread, uh, and, and then we're going to speak about the candle. That's where I want to spend most of my time. So the altar of incense, uh, once a year, is entered into, uh, or, or sorry, is sprinkled by, uh, by the blood. And this was what allowed the priest to go in, right? You sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice once a year. It was this extremely important uh, day where the, whole, uh, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. So the scripture tells us that Jesus didn't go into the Holy of Holies by the blood of bulls and goats. He went in by what? By his own blood. See, it's important for us to recognize this, that we have not been redeemed, that Jesus didn't go into the Father with a man-made sacrifice. See, the reason that they had to keep coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back because there was not a lasting uh, forgiveness of sin in any of these sacrifices that they would make. So if Jesus had come with the blood of bulls and goats, with the blood of a sacrifice that was not absolutely perfect in the eyes of the Father, he would have to come back and do it again. You understand? As sin would increase, he would have to come back and he would have to do it again. And so the scripture says that Jesus went in by his own blood. He, he offered onto this, uh, onto this altar, onto this, uh, this presentation before the Lord, he offered his own blood. Why? Because his blood is the only blood that is, that is perfect and spotless. His blood is the only blood that has fulfilled the law and is able to then go into the Holy of Holies and not just go in for a moment, but to go in and stay. And see, Jesus staying before the Father is our hope. Because Jesus, the scripture says that Jesus is interceding for us. We're going to get to that uh, in a little bit. But Romans uh, tells us that Jesus stands before the Father continually and intercedes on our behalf, right? He stands in the gap for you and for me. And he stands there continually because he has come in by his perfect blood. He doesn't have to turn around and leave because the, the sacrifice will not expire. But he stands continually making intercession for you and for me, standing before the Lord on our behalf because he has gone in by his own blood. In Romans 8, 34, it says that he, has, he continually intercedes for us. 
And here's, the, here's what's so wonderful about that, too, is that as Jesus is continually interceding for us uh, with the Father, what it also means is that if I am covered by the blood of the Lamb, that I also have access to the Father. And this incense, right, Psalm 134 tells us this, the incense uh, is representative of the prayers of the saints, right? It's fragrant to God. That The prayers of the saints, as we pray, we were talking about prayer, as we pray, it, is, uh, it, is, it fills uh, the heavens, right? and God notices this. In Revelation, it talks about there being a bowl of incense in the kingdom of heaven, and, and in it is burning the prayers uh, of the saints. So it, what it also tells us is that because this sacrifice has been made, uh, and we now can go into the Holy of Holies, what it tells us is that when we cry out, He hears us. That your prayer, your petition is continually before the Father. Is that good news to anybody? Is that good news to you that in your darkest hour, in the moments when you believe that nobody else is able to save, nobody else is around, nobody else hears, and even moments when when I pray, anybody ever felt weak and helpless when they pray? Like, there's no way this is actually happening. Let me just tell you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it's not how much strength you can muster in your prayer. It's not about how holy you can get before the Father. Your prayer is heard because the blood of the Lamb covers you. Your prayer is heard because sacrifice has been made. And so even in your feeblest moment, as you utter prayers before God, it rises up in the kingdom of heaven, and He notices, and He hears, and He responds to you because the blood covers you. Somebody's alive. Come on. Come on. Isn't it good to know that I don't have to be strong in my voice to pray? That I don't have to feel good to pray, but that my, my smallest breath is heard in the heavens. Thank you, Lord. Then we have the table of showbread. I kind of told you what it was, what it was all about. We're going to spend a little bit more time here. Go to John chapter 6. Jesus is going to talk about uh, bread. Now, God, God uses bread often in the Scriptures. He used bread to sustain His people. Might, we, we know about this in the desert as His people were wandering in the wilderness. God used uh, bread of heaven to sustain uh, His people. And He said, I'm going to always give you enough. There's always going to be enough bread. And so here in the, uh, in the holy place, we have bread. In John chapter 6, Jesus comes along in verse 51. A lot of verses in that chapter. You may have to turn a page. He says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. So he's immediately, if, look, this is one of those places, if we don't have context of the Old Testament, we are going to miss what Jesus says here. We're going to go, bread, weird, eat your flesh, drink your blood, that's creepy. We watch vampire movies that talk about that, but that's creepy stuff, right? So we have to have context. So he immediately refers to the bread from heaven which was given to sustain his people in the wilderness. And he's also, these people know the picture of the, uh, of the tabernacle. They know what happened in the holy place. They know what he's talking about when he's talking about bread. And listen to what he says. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread will I, that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Remember, this is covenant meal. That in ingesting this bread was symbolic of ingesting the life of God because the life of God in his people was held in covenant. And Jesus says, it's me. I'm the bread. And to, in order to have life, you must, have, uh, you must ingest me. You must take me in. As the priest took in the bread, which was symbolic, you must take me in. You must bring my life into you. And he says, this life is my flesh. And he says, I'll give it for what? Life. I'm going to give my flesh 
for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So this begins to be very strange for us if we don't have context. Well, how, okay, that's like, I'm all about praying the prayer, but what is this eating your flesh thing? Because how are we going to do that? Even if I did want to do that, how am I going to do that? Right? Begins to be very strange. That's what I'm saying. If we don't have context, if we don't understand the picture of what was given in the Old Testament, we're not going to have a clue what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about being in this holy place. He's talking about the priest taking the bread and the life of God being in the covenant meal. And what he's saying to us is, look, if your covenant with God is not held within my flesh and my blood, if this covenant meal, if you don't partake of the meal which I have prepared, and this meal was given as, uh, as sacrifice, if you don't partake in the sacrifice which is given by me, there is no life in you. There is no approach to the holy place. There is no approach to the Father. There is no relationship with Him absent you ingesting this covenant meal which was given by my flesh. I didn't come to you with anything else but my flesh and my blood. And this, for life of God to be in you, you must partake in this covenant meal. You guys okay? That's why he says, you must consume my flesh. You must drink of my blood. He says, and I'm going to raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood does what? Abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Now, I want you to move down a little bit into verse 61. It says, When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? Now, I want to pause right here. So we're already in strange territory. How, how many times have you, have you brought somebody to Christ by saying, You've got to eat his flesh and drink his blood? How many times has that brought somebody to go, Oh, yeah, salvation's for me? Right? Why don't we say that? Number one, they may not have studied the tabernacle. It might, you know, but, but number two, it's offensive and it's strange. Understand, even when spoken in context, because he spoke it in context, they knew what he was talking about. Even when spoken in context, what did it do? It offended. It offended them, and it was such a strange thing for Jesus to say that life comes as you partake in me. And he turns to his, listen, these aren't just random people. He says, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this. He turned to them and he says, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. Now watch this. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Many of his disciples at this moment where Jesus says, look, you, you've gotten it up until here. But now to continue to press in, continue, to continue to know life, to continue continue to have covenant with God, it is held within this 
uh, covenant meal. You must partake of me. You must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And from that point, they were offended and many turned and walked away. See, what we have to see here, what we have to see here is that religion and the gospel, absent the blood of Jesus, is not actually the gospel. And we can bring people to a certain point. We can bring people to a certain point and, and they can be in agreement. And we can go, man, you were made for relationship with God. You were made to know him. You, your life has a purpose. We can quote Jeremiah 29, 11 out of context to them all we want. And we may absolutely convince them that God has a purpose for their lives and that God loves them. But I want to tell you that, that it is the, the gate narrows at that point. Because from that point we can't go and you can get to him any way that you want. God has a purpose for your life and he loves you. And all you got to do is just acknowledge that he is God and and try to love him back as the best you can. The the gate is too wide and Jesus narrows it right here. And when he narrows the gate and says, the only access to the Father is by me. And not just knowing me, not just saying, Jesus, you're the son of man. But you got to partake of this covenant meal. you got to ingest my sacrifice. You've got to die. You've got to partake of my death. You've got to drink my blood. You've got to make covenant with me to have life. And the gate gets really, really, really small. Because all these people that were like, man, this guy was, I knew he was of God. There was amazing things happening. I knew that he had something about him. They were all following him to this point and they were in agreement with him. And everybody wanted to be on that team until Jesus said, but the only way is through me. And then many, listen, many were offended. What? I can't approach you in righteousness that's my own? I can't be good enough according to the law? I can't just fill in the blank and know you? I can't just be kind to my neighbor? I can't just read your word? Jesus said, no. You have to ingest my sacrifice. And many were offended and turned away. And I just want to tell you, uh, that may have been you. You may be offended in this room right now that I'm telling you that absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the only way to have covenant with God is through the sacrifice of Jesus. That is an absolute truth, and it may offend you. But Jesus spoke the truth at the risk of offense. You hear this? Please hear me. We have decided somewhere we shifted and our theology began to be, we will compromise the truth to fill a room. We will compromise what we say. We'll, ha- we'll pull back from this death resurrection thing. We'll pull back from eating his flesh, drinking his blood. We'll pull back from telling people that they have to die. We'll pull back from telling them it's gonna co- following Jesus is going to cost them everything that they know. We'll pull back from Jesus saying it's going to cost you a relationship, maybe even with your family. We'll pull back from this idea of dropping their nets. We'll pull back from those things because we want to fill a room because we would rather not bring offense. And so we'll compromise the truth. Well, I want to tell you, We can't do it. We can't attempt to tickle the ears of men and shy away from offense. Let me just tell you that this statement of Jesus, that life is in his blood, life is in his sacrifice, it was offensive then and it's offensive now. 
Many were offended and turned away. And I'm not saying that everybody's going to turn away from you, but I'm saying to you that you must not compromise the truth to tickle their ears because then you've done nothing, nothing else but bring them into a lie. And how many times to fill a room have we brought people into a lie? Have we said, well, it's just this. Well, it's not. And so whether they believe it or not doesn't matter. It's just sitting in a room uh, for Sunday school. Great job. That's heaven. No, it's not. And they're going to find out someday it's not. Don't compromise the truth. Know this, that if you walk in the Spirit, if you speak from your mouth the things of God, that many will be offended, but some will come to life. And you won't have to wonder if it's real life or not. You'll know that if the words of God come from my mouth and they receive the words of God, then they will be alive. And what great joy there should be for us to know that somebody is actually alive and not just faking it. Why do we feel good about people being in a room who aren't actually alive, but they put a smile on their face and act like they are? They're dead, and why are we celebrating it? Risk offending your friends. Risk offending your family, because my God, it may mean life for them. Be with me. And many turned away. But he said, in verse 67, then Jesus turned to the twelve. And I love this question. Do you also want to go away? Man, I can tell you, in my life, the Holy Spirit has, has spoken that to me so many times. In moments where it gets tense, in moments where it's like, all right, are you willing to take this step? Are you offended by this step? And I'm going, oh gosh, that just pulls so uh, against what my culture says. That pulls against what my flesh wants to do. And the Holy Spirit looks at me and says, do you also want to leave? And the question there is not a threat. The question is, look, this is going to cost you everything. Press into me. Press into me. Don't be offended by me. Press into me and there's life. It's a powerful question that he asks the 12. Will you also walk away because you're offended by me? Or will you draw near and continue to have life? Yes, good stuff. All right, so then we have the golden candlestick and I'm... Is that really right? Is it 1025? Oh, God. All right. You guys stop me or say something. <laughs> All right, golden candlestick. Here we go. We're going to do this quickly, even though I don't want to do this quickly. Uh, so the gold candlestick, this is, uh, this is the only light in the room. The only light in the room. Now I'm, I'm going to go through some of this briefly because I want to get to this other part here. Uh, but we understand this, that in 1 John, uh, the Scripture says that God is light, right? I didn't give you any context. You're supposed to guess something. But God is light, right? And uh, Jesus says that he is what? The light. So now we've got a couple of lights here. We've got God is the light, Jesus is the light. And then in Matthew chapter 5, he turns to us and says, you are the light. Well, we've got a problem here. We've got a lot of lights, right? But there's only one light in the tabernacle. There's only one light in the holy place. How in the world is God the light, Jesus the light, us the light? How does that work? In John chapter 14, Jesus says that in that day, you will know that I am in you. I want to show you this picture. This is a, this is a, a wonderful, wonderful picture of the candlestick. Can we get the candlestick up there, Anna? All right. What does gold represent? Anybody? Just scriptural stuff. What does gold represent? What? Sorry, you guys are shy on this one. Purity? No. Almost, royalty, it represents deity, right? 
Gold represents deity. So immediately with the gold candlestick, we know we're talking about what? God. Very good. Very good. You guys are going to be right 90% of the time if you say God, Jesus, or Holy Spirit in this room. Very good. So we know that we're talking about God. This central uh, uh, shaft for this candle is elevated uh, higher than, uh, than all the other ones. And we know that for a couple of reasons, right? Uh, it's, it's elevated. We know that the, the central figure here, uh, it being Jesus, is elevated uh, high here. But what are these other six pieces? God said, I am the light. Clearly, he is represented in this candle, in this gold, Jesus being the middle, uh, and the rest. What are they? That's us. It's us, and the light is the same. So I want to show you this. The light is the same. It's not a different light that lights each candle. The light is the same, and the light comes from the uh, centrality of Jesus being planted right in the middle of the Father. Jesus said, I, don't, I didn't come to do my will. I came to do the will of my Father. Jesus is planted right in the middle of the Father, and the light that he gives is the light that lights uh, our lives. Okay, But I want to show you how it works. This is so cool. So because this is elevated higher, just some uh, physics. Anybody, if, if anybody's in physics, they'll get this a little better than I do. But uh, oil was only put in the middle. Only is only put in the middle, right? We know that in the scriptures, what does oil represent? Every single time, the Holy Spirit. Know, know this. Oil always represents the Holy Spirit. So we have all three of the Godhead represented, right? We have the Holy Spirit, which uh, John said, uh, Jesus is going to come and he's going to baptize you with something. What was it? The Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to come and he's the one that's going to give you the Holy Spirit, right? He tells, Jesus tells his disciples, listen, wait, because I've got to go to my Father and when I go to the Father, I'm going to give you something. What did he say? I'm going to give you an advocate and his name is the Spirit, right? Jesus is the one that gives the Spirit. So the oil is in the middle, right? The oil is in the sun. And the sun, uh, from the middle, the oil goes into all the other, uh, other shafts. And the oil fills the other shafts. And from that oil gives light to the candles. Anybody else loving this? This is so cool. Jesus said he was going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. But it's the only light in the room. It's the only light in the room. Now, we love the picture until we talk about this being the only light in the room. Go to John chapter 15. We would much rather these candles, just, this just plays out in our lifestyle. We would much rather Jesus be the center, Jesus full of oil, and our, uh, and our sustaining life and breath be on our own. We would much rather our fuel come from our own uh, works. That's what we say in our lifestyle. We love to point at Jesus, but when it comes to uh, the filling of our lives, we would much rather do that on our own. We would much rather uh, our works accomplish our holiness. We would much rather our Bible reading. We would much rather our prayer time and our our purity in relationships and our church attendance. We would much rather these things be the fuel that lights uh, the world around us. How do I know this? Because when we approach non-believers, all we ever try to do is correct their behavior. Right? Anybody guilty? Me. All we ever do with the world around us, we look at their behavior and we go, man, if you guys would just start acting right, you'd be way more holy. If you quit drinking on the weekends, you'd be way more holy. I did it. Look at me. Right? This is our gospel. It's behavior. Well, the only light in the room, in the holy place, the only light in the room was the light which was of him. And the only way that that, that light burned was the fuel that was put into these, uh, these candles, which was the Holy Spirit. 
These candles didn't come up with fuel on their own. They weren't individually filled, but they were fueled from the center. They were fueled from the oil, which was given by the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 15, look at what Jesus says. Come on, this is so good. We could just do this for like two more hours. We won't, but listen to what Jesus says. He says, I am the what? I'm the vine. Are you with me? Read with me. I am the vine. He says, you are the branches. He who abides. Say that again. Everybody. Abides. What in the world is he talking about? He says, he who abides in me and I in him. What does he do? He bears much fruit. Now watch this. For without me, you can do. Here's how, here's how we read that. <laughs> you want to you know how you read it? I'm the vine, you're the branches, we who like you enough and kind of hang out around you will bear some fruit, and without you we can do most things. Fair? He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, you must abide in me. Because if you don't abide in me, you won't bear fruit. What does that word abide mean? It's, it's this picture that's in the golden candlestick. To abide in him, look, these candles don't burn absent the fuel which is given from the center. And I want to tell you, you will not be light in dark places absent you abiding in the one who is in you, which is the Holy Spirit. You cannot do Christianity on your own. You cannot. It's amazing to me that we believe that we can't save ourselves, right? You, everybody signs up on that team, Right? I can't say to myself, God, you're going to do it. I love you, Jesus. You're going to save me, right? I'm not mocking salvation, but this is the idea. We recognize that we can't save ourselves, but then we turn around and we go, okay, now I'm saved. All right, God, now I'm going to work for you. Now I'm going to do the Christian life on my own merit. Now I'm going to do the Christian life in my own works. How in the world do we believe if we couldn't save ourselves? How are you going to be holy? How are you going to be perfect? How are you going to be righteous? That's what Jesus says to do in your Christian life. Maybe we haven't read the standard. Maybe we don't know that that's what we're called to. But he says, you're going to be the light of the world. How are you the light of the world? Here's what we hear. We go, well, light of the world. Okay, I'm going to get to work. I'm going to do as much as I can for God. I'm going to burn this bright light for him, right? He never asked you to do anything for him, ever. The script, you cannot find in that book where God says, Case, do something for me. Why not? Because he can't. You are incapable of working a work for God. That's why Jesus says, listen, abide in me. Because as you abide in me, the power that I have given you, the Holy Spirit, lives in you. And as you abide, what that means is relying on the power that is in you, right? That's understanding. I can't work a work on my own. I must rely on the power that is in me and allowing that power to come through me. It translates in obedience. It translates as faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I hear the, the word. I have this relationship with God and I do what he says to do. Amazing. Imagine that, that light will burn as we do what God says. The reason that we don't like that is because it requires relationship. But listen, everything in the kingdom is opposite. Everything in the kingdom is opposite of what it is on the earth, right? To, to live, what do you have to do in the kingdom? Die. To be first, what do you have to do? Be last. Listen, to do much work, what do you have to do? Rest. Cease striving. I tell people all the time, you're not a human doing. You're a human being. God designed you to rest and abide in him. And as we abide in him, the, the, the uh, power that he's given us, as we abide in the power of the Holy Spirit, will fuel us to be the light and not our own light. See, that's the wonderful thing about it, the light of the Father. That as you abide in him, as you're obedient to him, 
you will burn the light of Jesus. How many of you would rather burn that light than the light of self-righteousness? Yeah, a few of you. Okay, you're like, oh, I meant to raise my hand. (laughs) God, I pray that we would abide in you. God, I just pray that you would just release this understanding of our inadequacy, not from the enemy, but from you. Not an inadequacy that says you can't, but a reality that says we cannot live the kingdom life absent the power of the kingdom. I pray that all over this room, men and women would just say, I can't live the Christian life. I can't live the Christian life. But the one who is in me can. The one who is in me is more than capable. The one who is in me is more than a conqueror. The one who is in me will bring the light, not the fake light, not the light of me, but the light of true holiness, the light of true righteousness, which is you. And I pray that right now, today, in this hour, in this moment, we would release ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit. That we would, maybe for the first time, maybe for some of us, this is the first time that we might say to the Holy Spirit, I completely release rely and trust in you to be the life that I'm supposed to live. Man, if that's you, just tell him that. Just just speak to the Holy Spirit and just say, God, I've never never allowed you to work this work in my life, but I want you to begin this hour and this moment. And I don't know what it's going to look like. But I know that the, that the light that you bring is so much, power, so much more powerful and so much brighter than the light that I have been bringing to the table. Let, let my light go away and let yours burn bright. God, teach me. I just would ask for all of you, and your, just as you are spending time with the Lord, pray this prayer. Teach me to abide. Oh, if you've been abiding for 15 years, great. If you've been abiding for 15 minutes, great. We all need to know how to, how to abide deeper and deeper in him. So I just pray that over you and ask that you would pray it as well. God, teach me to abide. Teach me to abide. I want to know what it is to abide. I want to know what it is to rest in you. Because God, we want to bear fruit. We want the kingdom to come. We want our campus to change. We want our classrooms to change. We want light to come in dark places. So teach us to abide. We know that we will not accomplish it by our work, but by our rest. Come on, we love you, Lord, and we ask for you to do this work in Jesus' name, amen.